Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey, Winks. Bye now. Everyone knows, just a few years ago, the Cincinnati Bengals won just a small, a little amount of games. Now, nine new teams have head coaches for the upcoming season. You and I went through all the press conferences, all the notes, all the beat reports to try to figure out why each decision was made and maybe what each of these, you know, play callers, managers, however you want to put them, can alter, can change, and hopefully replicate what the Bengals did in such a short amount of time. I don't think we have time for my Zach Taylor thoughts, unfortunately, because we can talk about if we're winning in spite of him or because of him. But yeah, we'll I'm sure we'll get to that later, later on. too. Yeah, these are our early thoughts again on the new head coaches across the NFL. What changes these new head coaches are going to make who might benefit on the current rosters as well. You can apply this to fantasy football all offseason long. Um, and just as we're reaching, you know, combine time, this is when we're recording this. All these head coaches are going to get on the podium, some for the first time, and speak to a national and local media once again. So we thought this was the right time to have this type of show. Um, Let's get right into it. I actually want to start off here with the New York Giants and Brian Dayball. Unlearn some things, perhaps? Yeah, I think we just we start out by building this relationship, Kim, and when he's in the building, we, we take it slow. You know, one of the things that I asked him to do, and I said, you know, you can give it to me at any time. You know, he was one of the players that called me after it was announced amongst some other guys. I said, hey, give me some things that you really like in your last three years or if you did at Duke. Um, And that's where it's going to start is some foundational pieces that he feels comfortable with. I think we'll add good coaches. We have a good support system um, and we'll try to bring in the best players we can bring. But I think this is going to be a day to day process. I'm not going to put any expectations on him. Uh, I know he wants to do well. He's got the right mindset. He's dedicated. Uh, He's a hard worker. And I'm looking forward to working with him. We are looking forward to working with him. Yes, G-Men, Brian Dayball, new head coach. Obviously, previously the play caller with the Buffalo Bills for the last few seasons. Maybe the reason, Hayden, why Josh Allen has taken such a massive step forward. We know that Daniel Jones is under contract with this Giants team. Who knows about the quarterback position in the draft this season for the Giants? We know what the free agent Roster looks like at the position as well. Those are rare to find. So I'm assuming, and this is why Brian Dables asked this during his introductory press conference, that ownership, the Maras, want him to work his magic, hopefully, with Daniel Jones now and moving forward. Daniel Jeremiah in his latest mock draft said the same thing, that the Giants are committed to Daniel Jones for one more year and to actually give him the right environment because the offensive line has been so so bad. The the play calling has been so bad for the Giants. That's really hard to evaluate Daniel Jones. I think that you can tell yourself a little bit of a story if you are the Giants ownership that Daniel Jones has at least some of the same traits as Josh Allen. Not nearly at the same level, but you can kind of see some of the playmaking ability. Athletic, mobile, right. you know, is willing to go down the field vertically. Now, we all know how Josh Allen plays. Again, 
pedal to the floor, yep. winning one-on-one matchups. Daniel Jones has a real turnover problem, namely fumbling problem, like just puts oh, blinders yeah. on. But somehow, like Josh Allen had that a little bit early on in his career in terms of making maybe decisions like your brain departed from your body. But still, his athleticism, I would say, is even another tier than Daniel Jones has. Yeah, completely agree. But but that's why they bring Brian Dable in. Is yep. He turned around the Josh Allen. So I think that's obviously the, the primary thing. I think they're going to get some better offensive linemen. Uh, they do have some decent wide receivers, especially if Saquon Barkley can, can stay healthy and be more of a weapon out in space. The primary differences between last year's Giants offense and this, what I'm expecting to be this year, is the personnel usage. Last year, the Giants were third and 12th personnel usage. The Bills, 31st. They basically played in 11 or, or 10 personnel. Uh, they mix in a fullback occasionally, but very rarely were they ever in 12 personnel. So they're going to get rid of Evan Ingram. They might cut bait with Kyle Rudolph. And I think that Brian Dable is going to really spread teams out, play a lot of shotgun, uh, something that the Bills did last year. They were third in play action. They were fifth in RPOs. I think that Daniel Jones should be able to execute both of those. Um, playing shocking a little bit more. Those are the type of things I'm looking for. And I think that this makes sense to give Daniel Jones one last shot while he's cheap. And hopefully you get a breakout season from Kadarius Tony. I think for fantasy yeah. purposes, Kadarius Tony and Daniel Jones to me are the two that I think benefit most from this hiring. Before I get into any like player specific takes and who this changes, can I zoom out a little bit? Because Brian Dayball, since I don't know, 2017 he obviously worked the patriots from 2013 to 2016 was the tight end coach there it is not a surprise that he goes from a bill belichick staff over to call plays for alabama in 2017 i went to go back and, and look at that 2017 alabama offense i think they only averaged about 20 passing attempts per contest that's when jalen hurts was the starter for most of the time tua would check in uh, every once in a while maybe some because you know they're leading by so much, but it, it really was, you know, a, a run heavy attack, 154 rushing attempts from Jalen Hurts, 135 from Damian Harris, 124 from Bo Scarborough, 61 from Najee Harris, 46 from Josh Jacobs. It kind of I mean, that's how, like how 10 running backs. I wouldn't blame him for running anyways. So. Right. so, but that gets to my point because then when yeah. we get to, you know, the Buffalo Bills from 2018 to, to 2021, when he is the play caller there, that offense completely shifts. You know, he's not one of these guys that runs the same thing everywhere he goes. And he talked about that a lot in this opening press conference. You know, the first question was about offensive style. And his first statement was that it's all player dependent. Like, yep. again, it's such a different offense that he had in 2017 with Alabama and those towns at the college game versus what we saw with him with Josh Allen, where they would bring in these different pieces, right? Like he allowed... Josh Allen to make mistakes early on because he knew like, Hey, he can also make those three to five plays to make the difference. Um, and, and something that other quarterbacks can't do, but then you even throw in role players there, right? Like Cole Beasley in the slot paid him played well yep. for them. Bring Isaiah McKenzie for a game or two uses him in a different role, a different way than they use Cole Beasley. That to me shows growth and change. Have Stefan Diggs without Josh Allen for a little bit, you know, then Allen needs that number one to go and become one of the best vertical passers in the league. And so you go out and get a player like that. And even when you go down the list, like Gabriel Davis, so on and so forth, like using players to where they win and where they succeed. I always look at that with play callers who then get promoted to a head coaching role. And I think Brian Dayball has proven that he does that. Yeah. That's why I think he was the leading head coach candidate for the last couple cycles. I was surprised he didn't get one the previous year, but he was obviously the top of the list for a lot of these teams. And yeah, I, I keep going back to the Kadarius Tony because he's kind of 
he can play in the slot or he can play out wide. And he's so loosey goosey with his route running oh, and stuff. I, I can kind of see this where it's just like, all right, we need to underneath look like, Hey, please just create for me. And I, I think that Cole Beasley had a little bit of an element to that. And Steph Diggs had a little bit of an element to that. Kadarius Tony is neither one of those players. He's kind of in between that, but I can totally see Kenny Galladay. You be our Gabe Davis, uh, just throw it up downfield on yep. broken plays. And Kadarius Tony might be, the breakout player. So his ADP is climbed. And I think I have him right in that like 36th overall wide receiver range for me. And I, I can see him being the focal point on top of Saquon Barkley. The other, the other part with the Saquon is I, I don't see him being that 17 to 20 carries per game player anymore. Maybe and this is probably how you should use him. He's 14, 15 carries per week. And we see a lot of the receptions, out in space it's really interesting because brian dayball with the bills didn't he never had those running backs like devin singletary zach right it was just not good enough saquon barkley i think he's gonna get the ball to us so i don't think it's as easy as just copy pasting what uh the bills were doing the last couple years like you said he's going to change it to the personnel on the giants this year i wish i had you know personal relationships with all these general managers too, the new ones that basically joined these head coaches in a lot of places but I think it's impossible to give a take on some of these new decision makers with rosters, but it does think show that it's helpful in this case that they previously worked together in Joe Shane and obviously Brian Dayball, Uh, a couple of differences though, both were on that Buffalo bills team when they completely restructured the offensive line in one off season, you know, they threw a whole bunch of mid-level shots at about six or seven names versus really targeting one or two top names to find like the best grouping of five out there. And that worked. Other teams have tried to replicate that recently, a little bit of the New York Jets, a little bit of the Carolina Panthers, and it hasn't worked. So it's really difficult, but that's really the spot that they probably need the most help here with the Giants, especially when it coincides with the weakness of, of Daniel Jones's game. You mentioned it, Kenny Galladay, man, Kadarius, Tony. I'm not going to say like Stefan Diggs was static in his approach, but they had really defined roles for certain players right to me Kadarius is the type that we saw early on when he got a shot in the slot was amazing there then the question was can he do on the outside then the next game he goes out there and like roast Jalen Ramsey and other people on the outside he can do both we just didn't see it in like a super large sample Um, and then Evan Ingram is a free agent and if Evan Ingram does resign which doesn't seem likely because it kind of seems like maybe he is the next you know dot on the timeline of second contract tight ends that go and do better in their next home. Uh, maybe man. He's maybe, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a forever, forever Evan Ingram fan, but if he does stay, let's put it that way. He and Dawson Knox are somewhat comparable in the way that they can get athletic, you know, movers in the middle of the field and stretch the field there. Yeah. I think b- bottom line for the giants. I, I loved this hire. Like this was yeah, the one if you're, if I'm still not sold on Daniel Jones, but if somebody was going to be able to figure it out, it's Brian Dayball. Yeah. Few coach speak items. He said, you have to be authentic. You have to be consistent, clear communicating expectations to players, relationship driven trust leads to respect. Respect leads to accountability. Very Yoda like there from, uh, from Brian Dayball. He also has six kids, six kids, NFL head coach and having that many, an army basically behind. Yeah. That's a lot. They didn't even play offensive line. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think one is actually already a graduate assistant over with the Penn State Nittany Lions, which is uh, kind of telling. And I think he's a four-year-old and then one on the opposite end of the spectrum, too. All right. I think that does it for the New York Giants. 
let's switch on over to Mike McDaniel and the Miami Dolphins. Side of Tua Tonga Bailoa, give me a name, please, just to excite the Dolphin fan base where you are looking at the roster and you're like, oh, I can get I can get something Waddle out of that guy. Okay. Waddle. <laughs> All right, so you're you're telling you're promising us. You could promise it. Waddle if he's healthy. You're going to see a little Debo Samuel. You're going to see someone who's used super versatile. No, I just I, I just talked with him on Monday, and um, I I think this uh, I I think he understands um, his leadership role on this team. That that he he's a phenomenal talent, and guess what? Um, it is much. The best and easiest way to uh, get yards is give it to a really talented player and have him, you know, the 49ers the last five or four or five years have led the league in yak. Um, The reason is because we're addicted to getting our uh, skill position players that are good with running the ball the ball. And so, yes, I I would start him in fantasy, um, but then – Beyond that, I think um, I, I would. I I think you should see some jumps in the uh, Miami Dolphins' offense next year. What those look like um, will be determined um, this off season, and and the way the players work and attack things um, moving forward. He said it all. Sometimes the best quotes don't come from actual press conferences; they come in the subsequent interviews after the new head coach is hired. Obviously, Mike McDaniel coming from the tree, the shadow of Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. Is it that simple, Hayden, that we should be amped for Jalen Waddle because he might see a similar usage to what Debo Samuel just put out there in 2021? To me, they're different type of players. Like, I mean, they're kind of similar. And I think that like what he said, he's they will get him the ball immediately and let him go after the catch. Um but I do think that just in general, Mike McDaniel is one of the more boom bust hirings uh, of the cycle for a couple of reasons. One, like we love the charisma. He's definitely a player's coach. Um, he's going to be one hell of a presser every single week. Oh, yeah. This offense that he's coming from has been super efficient every single time. It's very quarterback friendly. And I think that an offense that two is going to be running needs to be that because of the, some of the limitations he has at the same time, though. This is one of the youngest coaching staffs, one of the most inexperienced coaching staffs there is. He's never called plays. Um, he was the run game coordinator. Um, he brings in Frank Smith, who was the Chargers run game coordinator. That's going to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, Wes Welker is going to be the passing game corner, uh, coordinator, and he's the wide receiver coach. He hasn't been coaching for very long. So um, I can see it going both ways. This is just a very inexperienced coaching staff, but I really like uh, Mike McDaniel as a person. And I think that some of the things that he, they were doing with Jimmy G, you can kind of apply to Tua uh, as well. Lots of things to pick apart there. The first, and you're going to hear this from basically every single one of these hires, is that Mike McDaniel is about adapting his offense to the players. I think we saw that as a fact with Brian Dable, and he's done it in his history. Maybe if we can, you know, segment responsibility, not blame necessarily, but who did that in San Francisco? Maybe McDaniel can pick up piece of that, but we don't know that for a fact, right? The other half of the conversation you just put out there was with, with Debo Samuel. I mean, he's just a rare talent. He's a different talent. He plays with the ball in his hands like a 230-pound running back. 
Jalen Waddle, we talked about this a lot coming out of Alabama. One of his unique traits was how fluid and he just moved differently with the ball in his hands. He just ran away from a lot of players at the college level, either the return game or when he had the ball on slants and took it to the house. But to me, that's very different than what Debo does. Well, Debo can do that, but he's also winning on contact. He's also that's the power. stiff arms. Yeah. When you get to the safety or the corner or on the outside, and it's that one player to get the sideline that you then, you know, break the tackle and then go and create a big play. I mean, he averaged 10 and a half yards after the catch per reception last year. Jalen Waddle was at 4.4. Now, I also think we can, again, blame some of that with the offense. We only saw a couple of plays really last season where Waddle had like the patented Ted Ginn, put your head down and stride out away from everyone else. I think there's a lot more of that in his future. But if we are going to try to say like, hey, Jalen Waddle is now going to get backfield snaps like Debo got last year, nope. that is moving it in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think that Jalen uh, Waddle can get downfield better than Debo. And Jalen Waddle is not going to be playing running back up the middle. Like Debo was actually playing running back. I would be extremely surprised if Jalen Waddle gets in that. But I I do think that you're going to see a lot of that short area over the middle passing attack that the Dolphins were using via RPO. And that's where Jalen Waddle and Mike Kosicki in particular were absolutely eating. And that's playing to two of strengths because he's an accurate passer. Um, I think that there's some limitations with his arm strength and overall decision-making, but on an RPO slant, Tua can get the ball over the middle. And that's exactly what Jimmy G was tasked to do. It's a little bit different style. The yeah. 49ers uh, used RPO at the 24th highest rate compared to the Dolphins were first. Uh, the Dolphins used play action uh, the most in the NFL. The 49ers were more at 17th. So it's not the exact same offense. I think that you're gonna they're going to ask Tua to go under center a little bit more because that's just kind of how the Shanahan offense has been working. So there's going to be some some differences, but overall, if you were just looking at like the next gen stat charts, where it's just like where is the ball being thrown? It's short and it's over the middle, and that is playing to Jalen Waddle's strengths as a yards after the catch guy. It's going to be different. I can see some of the similarities between Waddle and Debo. Debo right. is more based on power. Waddle would smoke Debo in a forty yard dash, so a little bit different. But most importantly, he knows that he needs to get the ball in the hands of his playmakers and they can right. figure out ways of doing that. Like that is the most important thing. And so it, it's going to be a different way of doing it, but I actually trust Mike McDaniel to do that. There's also the conversation you, I think laid it out pretty well of the comparison of, Hey, Jimmy and Tua's average depth of throw was almost identical last year, like 7.4 to, to 7.6. Does that mean it's just going to be the same exact offense? We know this because I brought up seemingly every single week that so many of Jimmy's targets were funneled over the middle of the field. He's throwing to spots, right? And sometimes those spots were really tight windows because the defense, 100%. you know, was closing very quickly. The gap wasn't there. I don't know if there were actual reads from Jimmy, to be perfectly honest with you. I, again, I think he just knew that, hey, Kyle wants me to throw it to the spot and I, I'm I'm getting it there. Um What's funny to me is when I watch Tua, again, with the RPOs, it was a lot of speed outs. It was a lot of slants. All space is what he wants. But then you go, and I don't know how much we should throw into like the aggression percentage on next-gen stats. I think it it outlines like where a player, uh, the nearest defender is a yard away. Okay. Um, 
Tua was the highest percentage in the league last year, which shocked me, but I, that can be for a number of factors and probably the offense. Yeah, I would guess that's just because all those slants are going right between a linebacker. Right. And so there's never like those one-on-one balls uh, 25 yards downfield by the sideline. It's just like not a throw that was a part of the Dolphins offense. I think the biggest part, though, like, comparing the two offenses is the Dolphins were the worst rushing offense in the league yes. last year because they have the worst offensive line in the league. They have no running backs. So a lot of the uh, play action, a lot of those like high-low looks where Jimmy knew where the, the spot was going to be open – well, that's because they can run the ball a little bit. And like I know it's like people always say, like, oh, you, you it's not about how many times you run the ball for like the play action to work. And I get that to a certain extent, but they will have to run the ball better in Miami for this like quote unquote Shanahan offense to work. And that might take multiple years. We're talking about like literally four new offensive linemen in an entirely new uh running back group. So um, I don't think it's gonna be Mike Gaston might be like their third down back. They are going to be finding a new first and second down oh, yeah. rusher and they can see it in different molds i can see it being the raheem Mostert type where it's all speed i can also see it working with the alfred morris type so i don't think we should be looking at one particular type it's worked in either offense and J- jimmy and Tua are like not the same quarterback but where they're throwing the ball is in the same area right. so th- there's going to be changes it's not going to be like a completely new uh look in miami either though. yeah i i Spoke a lot there without making my point, but it, you just made it at the end where they might be throwing the same spots, but I think they're they're quite different because yes. we see Tua double clutching a lot of throws. We don't see Jimmy, at least in my memory, double clutching a, a lot of throws, and that might be a huge difference yeah. um, between the two. Quickly, remember we had Safed Dean on the podcast mm-hmm. a long time ago before last year's draft when we talked about you know Jalen Waddle versus Panay Sewell and that type of conversation when they were selecting there in in the first round. Um, didn't he tell us, and I tried to look for the story, that the Dolphins like were on the phone with J.K. Dobbins right before the yep. Ravens traded up for him. So that was that selection at twenty in 2020. Then in 2021, again, the Broncos trade up one spot ahead of them to take Javante Williams. So I don't know where Mike McDaniel falls on this, like, hey, we don't want a huge investment at the running back position. Mind you, the 49ers did make a pretty significant investment in the running back position last year with two third rounders becoming Trey Sermon. Um, obviously, it turned out to be Eli Mitchell's job. But it wouldn't shock it, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all if Chris Greer is among the belief that, hey, if we like a running back in the second round, we're going to use a pick in the second round. We're not just going to wait to find our Eli Mitchell or Alfred Morris there in round five and round six. Yeah, Kenneth Walker, round two. I was just watching him today. That's your first and second down rusher. A couple more notes here. Talking about adaptability, Mike McDaniel called back to his days in Washington with Kyle Shanahan when they were coaching RG3, said that none of them ever had a zone read experience. They went to no clinics to watch any of this, but obviously they ran a lot of those concepts with Robert Griffin III. And then he was a 23-year-old wide receiver assistant coach with the Houston Texans. He showed shows up to his first practice, and he's asked to coach Andre Johnson in his prime. Um, he internally asked himself, like, well, why the heck would Andre Johnson listen to what I'm saying, just this 23-year-old in, like, his first coaching job? And he found out, again, this is his words, Mike McDaniels, that the simplest formula is to show that you can help them you help them improve, and then they buy into you. 
So people respond to authenticity. People can smell when you aren't being yourself. And so I think that that's why we get those, you know, quirks and those McDaniel isms in a lot of his press conferences. Cause again, I think he's learned in his kind of short amount of time in the NFL just to be you. Yep. We're going to get some great press conferences. We'll see, we'll see about the on-field product. Um, believe Mike Kosicki is a free agent, correct? They can Um, franchise tag him if they need to. They they, they can franchise tag him if he needs to. Uh, Let's jump over to how about the Minnesota Vikings and Kevin O'Connell, who departs the Ram staff again to head up north. Starting out with Ed Donatel, this will be his 32nd uh, NFL season. Um, When you're an offensive head coach and you've coached in this league long enough, um, when you get an opportunity like this to put together a coaching staff, um, you guys heard me talk about it last week, but you really start thinking about it from the standpoint of what do you not like to play against? What's the hardest uh, defensive scheme to play against? You know, what keeps you up at night as you game plan as an offense? Uh, you know, guys like Ed Donatel, and he's been doing it for a long time in this league, one of the, uh, you know, one of the best secondary coaches that we have in our league. I think he's been in a role uh, for a few years now in a leadership role that that shows me uh, he's primed to take over our vision of how we want to play defense here at the Vikings. Um, It was a no-brainer to me to reach out to Ed at the beginning of this process and and just throughout getting to know him and and getting a feel for where he's at in his career. uh, He's the perfect guy for me because he shares uh, the mantra of wanting to lead, teach, and motivate. That's that's who he is. Uh, He's an ultimate positive guy. Uh, that knows how he wants to play defense. He knows how to incorporate the coaching staff he's going to have working with him um, and could not be more excited to add a guy who's coached Hall of Famers, uh, been to the playoffs a ton of times, won Super Bowls. He knows what it's like to play really good defense, but he knows what it's like to have success in this league. It's a it's a huge part of why he's here. So a couple off seasons ago, the Friends of McVeigh moniker was kind of laughed at across the league. Uh, Zach Taylor being one. Here we are, Super Bowl, Sean McVay versus Zach Taylor. Just from that press conference clip alone, though, it certainly sounds like Kevin O'Connell, again, who comes from Sean McVay's staff, wants to mimic, replicate what the Rams just did. Because if you rewind just a couple years ago, when Sean McVay fires Wade Phillips as his DC, a good DC, it's to go and get Brandon Staley as a defensive coordinator because he hated going up against those defenses. Yeah, so I think that's smart whenever an offensive-minded coach is just saying, you're taking the defensive side of the ball. Like, I'm I'm new. I'm going to be making mistakes. I have to handle the media and all that stuff. So please, you just take care of the defense. So I'm a fan of that. To me, the biggest thing with this hire was just the relationship with Kirk Cousins. He was his quarterback's coach in Washington a couple years ago. And immediately he says that, quote, I think we can build an offensive system like we had in L.A. to take advantage of that skill set, talking about Kirk Cousins. And then he also said that he anticipates Kirk Cousins being part of what we do. So that was, to me, the biggest thing, because the Vikings could have gone in two different directions. And they can still trade Kirk Cousins if they want to. But I think they're going to be waiting at least until you get some Aaron Rodgers clarity, because if Aaron Rodgers is out of the division, all of a sudden you're talking about the Lions, the Bears, and the uh, Aaron Rodgers list Packers. And I think you can easily win the division with Kirk Cousins if that happens. So I think that's the first blueprint is I'm anticipating now that Kirk Cousins is going to be there. And I think that you can kind of start seeing which version of the Rams offense from previous seasons we're going to get in Minnesota. 
I know very little about Kevin O'Connell. It's impossible to know much based on, you know, Sean McVay being the play caller. And then his assistant coach is basically changing every single year because they get plucked away. What we do know about um, Kevin O'Connell is that he is 36 years old. He's a former third round pick by the New England Patriots. I believe that was Josh McDaniel's selection. That bombed fairly quickly. Um, but what we also know about him is this fits in where teams often go when they make head coaching hires. In this case, a young offensive-minded head coach versus the departed old defensive-minded head coach. Let's just look at what we just talked about with the other two teams. Miami Dolphins, a defensive-minded head coach who, by reports, probably stemming from inside the building, didn't get along with everyone, to a quirky, new, young, offensive-minded head coach in Mike McDaniel. Then we go over to Brian Dayball, who is vastly different, proven offensive mind winner versus the special teams coach of what Joe judge was who didn't get along with his players seemingly at all. That is a theme that continues on along here. And again, know very little about O'Connell, but just from this press conference alone, it included a ton of coachisms, but man, he commands a room. He speaks extremely well. I think this offense, when you talk about Kirk cousins established there, Justin Jefferson, Holy moly, this makes me want to buy into where Adam Thielen is going in drafts right now. And then you have some really young pieces along the offensive line as well that you can hopefully build with. So if like the play calls and everything is is going well, then this is not, you know, a real building project at all. It's potentially a, a winning formula already on the field for 2022. Yeah, just figure out what Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson like doing and just keep spamming that. And Justin Jefferson had a great quote at the Pro Bowl. They asked him about the hire and what he thought. He said that the Rams offense get their playmakers the ball. Cooper Cup's wide open all the time, so he's excited for it. He also noted the same thing that you noted. It's his first head coach on the offensive side of the ball, so I'm happy. So perfectly summed up. Now the question becomes for fantasy. Like We're already taking Justin Jefferson as a first-round pick. Uh, people are going to make the comparison to Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. And I can see it a little bit, but these two players play pretty different games. Now, Cooper Cup evolved this last year, and he was all of a sudden being a downfield threat. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a one-for-one comparison. I do think that the overall comparison of Kevin McCall saying, all right, we have our stud wide receiver. We're just going to keep spamming him the rock. I think that's going to be the same. To me, the difference is going to be which version of the Rams offense is he going to be pulling from. Last year, the Vikings used 11 personnel, the 29th, so they barely used it. Uh, the Rams last year were first. But if you look back two seasons ago when they still had Gerald Everett, that Rams uh, offense was top three yep. uh, in, in two tight end sets. So he has some experience on either way of how they want to play this offense. But either way, I think that you're going to be leaning on a very uh, Kirk Cousins heavy game plan. Well, and the other aspect of this is for years and years and years under the Kubiaks, the Vikings were one of the best zone teams in the league. The Rams have run some of that in their past as well, but we know that this past year they incorporated a lot of power elements too with extra blockers. So like Garrett Bradbury is, you know, a pretty rough. I think they'll run zone. I think they'll run okay. zone. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and obviously he has a history with Washington too. So I'm, I'm sure that they'll, yeah. they'll do that, but I'm saying everything is already lined up for them to do that in a really positive way. And this yeah. health aside makes you feel really good still about Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I, I think – 
I think that the, this fit is very, very easy to see how you can kind of replicate some versions of the Rams. I think it's going to be a little bit of a mix between the 2020 and the 2021 Rams. It's not going to be an identical version of either of them. I think the biggest difference is last year, the Vikings, uh, they ran into a stacked box at the seventh highest rate in the league. They were going to run it down your throat no matter what. The Rams were down at 21st. So I don't think that you're going to have quite as uh, run heavy of an offense that we've been used to under uh, the the previous coaching staff. It's just totally different. When you go from a defensive guy to an offensive guy, I think that the neutral pass rate, instead of the, the Vikings ranking 20th, I can see them getting closer to the top 10. Like, let's just be honest here. Like, throw the ball to freaking Justin Jefferson. Uh, e- even Adam Thielen at this age, I think, can be productive. KJ Osborne had a pretty decent season, and they have kind of two tight ends who by themselves aren't great talents, but I think that you yeah. can use both of their strengths and get something. So I just think that more passing volume in general is coming for the Vikings. Yeah, he plans to call plays. I have another clip and I won't play it because we're already going pretty long here on his now OC in Wes Phillips, who he has worked with in the past, um, said that Wes really specialized in red zone work as well, which can be really important. We know that the Rams were very deadly in that area this past year, especially when they acquired Odell Beckham and they threw a lot in goal to go situations so that's something to keep in mind where in the past just thinking of the vikings it seemed like a lot of times that they would obviously want to hand the ball off to davin cook and if he was down then to uh alexander madison so yeah all right why don't we stay in the nfc north we've done a whole bunch of offensive minded head coaches let's switch over the defensive side who is going to help justin fields take the next step and it's not for everybody Believe me, it's not for everybody. There's been players that, that you know, once in a while, hey, this is not for me. Okay, we can work things out, but it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Okay, but it's going to be worth it. How do you explain the difference between hustle and intensity? Yeah, so the hustle part is actually the the, the how we're working to the ball or blocking on the backside as a receiver, you know, and how we're doing, you know, working down the line, you know, offensive lineman going down the field to get an extra block. That's all hustle. Intensity is measured by hitting and physical style. Number one, the physical side of it. And then intensity is also measured by mental focus. You know, are we operating the right way? Do we have, you know, under five mental errors, you know, you know, per group, per game? That's pretty good if you can pull that off, as you know, being a coach yourself. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's two things there. So, yeah, that's how you measure them. All right. Matt Eberflus, defense coordinator for the Colts, who actually Josh McDaniels hired – and then didn't go and take the job in Indianapolis. We know that Eberflus's defense last year, Hayden, led the NFL in turnovers. That is something that can be difficult to maintain year over year over year. It's really not sticky. There's a lot of luck. Is Darius comes. Leonard cruising too? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of luck that factors in to, to turnovers. Yet, Matt Eberflus, that statement, his press conference – talked really about ways that it can be replicated. And I don't know if we buy into that, if it can be, but he certainly believes in himself to do that, to take what he did in Indianapolis and bring it over to Chicago. Yeah. I'm more concerned with this hiring for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Eberflus has never worked with the offense before. And I think that when you draft Justin Fields last year, you don't have to get an offensive mind, but you're at the same exact time. Luke gets, he's going to be your offensive coordinator. And he's obviously very well respected. And he's had some great seasons as Aaron Rodgers quarterback coach, 
but Aaron Rodgers and Justin Fields aren't really the exact same player. And this is going right. to be an, a bump up for Getsy as well. So this is kind of an ex- inexperienced one-two punch, especially when you're dealing with Justin Fields, who clearly needs more work than we kind of anticipated coming into the league. So I think that for me, what are they going to build this offense like? Um, a lot of the like uh, RPOs and the uh, t- 12 personnel, getting some motion in, a lot of some of the quick hitting stuff that Aaron Rodgers was doing, not really Justin Fields' exact strengths. You more just want him to rip the ball downfield. So uh, Luke Getzey is going to have to change some of his offense. And I think at the same exact time, you do not want the Bears to just all of a sudden be this like super controlled, slow paced, uh, offense, I think that would be pretty disappointing. I just want to see bombs away and like let it rip. Even if even if he turns into like those Jameis Winston Bucks yeah. years, if that's what happens this next year, like I'm okay with that. We can figure out the rest of the offense later and let them run. You know, like, yes, please. Until Bill Lazor got his hands on that offense, they weren't allowing him to run. Um, I'm I'm with you. It's impossible to know anything about Luke Getzey. Now, to his credit, Eberflus, when asked why he chose him for his play caller on the offensive side said that defensive coordinators consistently look at offenses that like spawn multiple coordinators and like have trees of success. And obviously the Packers have been one of those or will be one of those. We'll get to another one of those coaches in here in just a moment. You could kind of hear it there in the end of that clip that I posted of like the five bad plays per game. And he's very into like these efficiency metrics. He loves to like put numbers on everything. And again, his number one thing is like all about the ball. It's taking the football away and it's protecting the football. So protecting the football on the other side of that, Hayden, one, he probably hated his quarterback there in Indianapolis. Uh, But two, your point on, hey, let's just allow Justin Fields to make these mistakes and we'll work with it. Kind of like what Brian Dayball did early on with Josh Allen. To me, if he has like, complete control over what the offense looks like i think he might lean a little more conservative than that yeah that's my my big uh worry none of it's gonna matter unless the bears get better like better players like this this roster is just not very good their defense is aging um they played with like a lot of injuries last year the offensive line is extremely inconsistent some would call it bad and this skill group i can tell you for sure is bad darnell mooney is a fine player i think that he maxes out more of a, a number two receiver he could be a good number two receiver uh, Cole Komet hasn't done really much at the tight end position. They do not have literally like a second or third wide receiver on the roster. So they need a lot of help. And I don't think that Matt Eberflus is going to be able to pull this off unless the new GM, who we're not talking about the GMs, but the GM's right. got a hit on a lot of picks in a row and their salary cap situation isn't even that good still, especially if uh, they want to, you know, probably sign Jimmy, Jimmy Graham to another 10 year extension. Yeah, I believe Ryan Poles is coming from Kansas City. I think he's 36, former player briefly in the league. I think that was with Washington as well. You mentioned it. Darno Mooney is the number one wide receiver right now. I would highly doubt that they bring back Allen Robinson in any capacity. No. Um, my question to you, though, Luke Getze coming from the Packers. We've seen what they've done with Aaron Jones. We've seen what they've done with A.J. Dillon and investing there. As soon as Dave Montgomery went down, Khalil Herbert looked awesome. Then as soon as Dave Montgomery returned, we barely saw any Khalil Herbert again. Should we lean and expect a little bit more of two running back usage from this offense, or is that almost unpredictable as well? Maybe maybe so. Um, 
I, I I'd have to think about that more. I think that Khalil Herbert earned more touches, like you were alluding to. I think that the the for the structure of this offense is is this going to be an eleven personnel offense or is this going to be an offense that features a second tight end or a fullback? And that's kind of what this uh, Lafleur Shanahan uh, unit does. So we might be able to see. Um, like maybe they draft a legit number one receiver and then Darnell Mooney is their number two. And then they use a tight end and that's where you can use like that tight end or the fullback and play action. That's where Justin Fields is like all of a sudden ripping shots uh, down the seam and down on, on the post route. So um, we'll see. I think that we're going to learn more about this offense, not because of the the press conferences, but what they're going to do at, in the free agency in the NFL draft this first season, I think is going to tell us which direction that they plan on building this offense around. And, Free agency is huge for them. Like James Daniels, arguably a top two offensive lineman for them, is a complete free agent. He's athletic. He can play center. He can play guard. If you lose him, all that you have left are Tevin Jenkins, who like barely played last season, Cody Whitehair, and like you move on from there a little bit. Like offensive line, as we have seen, really important. Really important. Especially for fields right now. Yes. I I just want to see... Justin Fields, because man, a few of those early games, you only saw about like one or two plays that really stood out. And I think so much of that was Matt Nagy, so much of that. But then like towards the end, it got to a point where like the small stuff he was doing, but then he was stringing together drives, like full drives. But then we didn't get to like this final, what, two or one game of the year, because obviously he missed with an injury. So I'm I'm still in on Justin Fields long term, but as you said, of all the surrounding cast that we talked about, even probably including the Dolphins, this one might be the worst right now. Yeah, that clip that you showed did not give me super super pumped either. So I don't know if that was uh, a poor clip choice if you were trying to do something with that, or if that was just how it went. Hey, blame the beat writers for for making these right. clips that I just steal on 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 Twitter. Yeah, it's uh, his mindset and his delivery is very different than anyone else that we've listened to so far. But I also believe he was the first hire of the entire cycle. Yeah, so like. They picked out their guy, and uh, and that was that. So, all right. Done with the Bears. Some skepticism might be in the air with that. Let's jump on over to the Denver Broncos. Maybe the Yang to what Eberflus just put out there. Here we go. Oh, gosh. I would, did not know I was going to get that one right now. Um, I have always felt myself that I feel like I'm a hand solo. Um, I just felt like he was always smooth and cool, and he got the beautiful princess, too. So, sorry, I had to say that. Um, but uh, she's so mad at me right now. Um, but, no, I, I've always loved Han, and, I mean, God, Yoda, that's almost like picking one of my children. I mean, I, Star Wars is dear to me, so, but, no, we'll throw Han out there. Yes, new Denver Broncos head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, going from a 63-year-old defensive mind in Vic Fangio to a 42-year-old offensive mind here in Nate Hackett, who, yes, wants to connect with the youths and talk about Star Wars. You know he's a real one, Hayden, because he pronounces Han and Han both ways. He covers his bases in the big debate in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I don't know this nerd shit, dude. I haven't watched a single second of this stuff, so this is all you. I don't I don't understand any of this. The only thing that I know about him is that he was like a break dancer too like this guy is like mr energy so i i like that and obviously like the big thing for the broncos is priority number one is trade for aaron Rodgers. and how do you do that well you go get his buddy and even on the pat mcafee show uh, he kept mentioning hackett as like his dude so 
That's what the angle that they're going for. They have all the young talent in the world in offense. Let's get one quarterback and, and figure it out. And if it's not Aaron Rodgers, maybe they draft a guy. And like, this is the guy that Aaron Rodgers was partially crediting his MVPs for. So I think the players are going to love love to work under him. I don't care how he pronounces Han Solo or anything like that, but I think that he's going to be able to recruit Aaron Rodgers, and that's number priority number one uh, for the Broncos. And if not, maybe that he's the guy that can actually um, develop a, a, a young quarterback if that's option number two. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to get Aaron Rodgers. Like, I, I think it would be a shock now for Aaron Rodgers to leave the Green Bay Packers. So I think we all know how invested we'd all be in the Broncos, if that were to happen, that's the easy conversation to have. So maybe let's have the difficult one. If they can't get them, what what do the Broncos do there? To me, I immediately go to Jerry Judy. I know that Deontay Lee, Seth Galina, the Too High podcast mentioned that Jerry Judy pre maybe 2021 season could be what Devontae Adams has been with a lot of these quick receptions, shorter to the line of scrimmage, allowing him to get the ball in his hands, not necessarily there's a vertical element, not comparing the two, but if one is going to be force-fed targets, which we have seen Devontae Adams be in the past, would you throw Jerry Judy's name at the top of that list? I'm I'm worried that Jerry Judy's just a little bit overrated. So I, I would like to see who who who's the quarterback before I like start talking crap on Jerry. Judy. like the last thing I want to do is start saying negative stuff about Jerry Judy and in comes Aaron Rodgers, And then he starts hanging 20 fantasy points a week on me. So I got to watch myself. But if, if this isn't the Aaron Rodgers offense, I would like to point out that Nathaniel Hackett in 2017, the Jaguars fifth in points with Blake Bortles fifth in points. <laughs> like that is, I mean, that's the best stat of maybe our entire show. That is it was so weird. I, I, I want to pull up all those clips because truly God. in some of those games, they would be running the ball pretty well with, with, I believe it was Leonard Fournette back then. Oh, yeah. And as soon as they would ask Blake Bortles to throw the football, it would just halt the entire offense. I mean, it's crazy how long Blake Bortles started. And then now he's like a fringe roster talent. Yep. And then if all that comes in when the rest of the quarterback room catches COVID. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the other note I had on this offense is... This has been a very zone uh, heavy rush rushing offense. Uh, fourth in 2018, first in 2019, first in 2020, second in 2021. That does not play to Javante Williams' strengths in particular. The Broncos mm. last year ran with more power, and we always kept mentioning how Javante was struggling with his vision. I do not want to be betting against Javante Williams, but I do think it's going to be a little bit interesting how they're going to use Javante Williams. I, I think they might want to try to bring in a second back to kind of compliment him. But I think that Javante Williams could absolutely take off here. But I think that, that was kind of interesting. Um, I, I think this conversation is so hard to have until we figure out the quarterback. If this is if this is trading for like Jimmy G or something like that versus Aaron Rodgers, like it's going to be totally different uh, ball game. I'm sure they have a plan. Yeah. They also have a number of pass catchers that are really excited. I mean, Cortland Sutton had some moments last year as an outside wide receiver. Tim Patrick, big body on the outside as well. No offense. Yeah, no offense, still one of the most athletic tight ends in the league. And even from that press conference that you talked about, Hackett mentioned that outside zone is a starting point and the base that yeah. they have all the play action passing off of because you know th that forces the defense to cover every single section of the field. And then you have West Coast principles in, in the drop back game. Like you said, like who even knows they, if they can have Teddy on the roster next year? Like he might get money somewhere else too. So it can go in a whole bunch of different ways. The belief in the Broncos heading into 2022 could be all over the board. And it's all because of yes, that quarterback position. 
they are the definition of quarterback away. And once again, you find a new head coach on the complete opposite end of the spectrum because when Nathaniel Hackett walks into the room, like it lights up and just think of how different that is with Vic Fangio doing these press conferences. So I don't know if this is an active decision that all these team presidents, owners, general managers make, but man, their subconscious really wants the opposite of who they just fired. That's for sure. In okay. a couple of years, it's going to be like 28% of the coach or 28 of the 32 coaches are going to be offensive head coaches. So I think that's just like the trend overall. Uh, let's go over to another one here who has a big, big job on his hands. Okay. It's early in the process, but have you decided yet if, if you're going to be calling plays and can you just talk about how Trevor Lawrence fits into your offensive philosophy? As far as Trevor goes, you know, obviously it's something that, that as I get in here and really start diving into the film, you know, I've been able to watch him, you know, not only on TV, but, but look at him on tape and watch him and kind of know who he is a little bit about him. But the more now that I get to come in here and really study him and study the game. And obviously, listen, he's, he's one, he's one player on this team. He's a good player, but, but, also watching the entire the entire team offense defense and special teams and and then and that's you know our job moving forward is to find more good pieces to put around him so i'm i'm excited you know um uh, from that from that standpoint and then um ref- we'll stop it there um so the jaguars go from i don't know a first time nfl head coach who absolutely sucked to now a two time head coach with a super bowl ring it was a roundabout way, 33 days between his first interview and his last interview with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But when you view this hire, at least to me, it's all about stability. Number one is stability. This is a head coach that, you know, helped develop Carson Wentz to his absolute best. I mean, saw him get injured when he was playing and putting up an MVP caliber offense and then immediately Helped Nick Foles win a Super Bowl ring with that same exact roster. Then when Wentz declined in the following seasons, they pivot over to Jalen Hurts with a, a different style of offense. I feel so much better already about Trevor Lawrence in year two than I did, you know, two months ago. I feel good about this one. This oh, is so good. this is the one for a couple of reasons. One, making a silly comparison, and this is like unfair to Trevor Lawrence, but Carson Wentz and Trevor Lawrence have some of the same uh, abilities. I would say Trevor Lawrence has an actual hose on his He's on his arm. Yeah, but they both move well and they're both physical guys. And, and they because- will both make mistakes. Like Trevor, as yeah. much as I love Trevor and I buy into Trevor, even dating back to his days at Clemson, He'll he's going to have yeah. the ball get away from him on, on three to five plays per game. Yes, but the main comparison I wanted to pull was that back in, in 2019, this was before the Eagles went straight to the dumpster fire. Uh, Carson Wentz was playing well, and in that offense, they were six in no huddle rate, fifth in play action, third in RPOs, and that's kind of some of the comparison that you can make with Trevor Lawrence. And then they ran the ball uh, into stacked boxes at the 24th rate. So we love to see all of that stuff. And then on top of that, I know that in that press conference that you pulled, he's like, oh, this is about the defense and special teams too. Like, cool, like I guess. But then why did you bring in uh, Press Taylor as your offensive coordinator? That was uh, Carson Wentz's quarterback coach during those prime years. And then he hires Jim Bob Cooter, who's been in the NFL forever, as the passing game coordinator, it's not even just the passing game coordinator. He does not have a positional uh, group uh, listed. It's literally just for the uh, the passing game. So he, they basically have Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, and Jim Bob Cooter literally just saying, Trevor Lawrence, like, we got you. Like This is way more support 
um, than he's had before. And we've seen this offense be uh, super efficient. And I think that a lot of the stuff when they were getting those Carson Wentz ceiling uh, years, you can do all that same stuff with, with Trevor Lawrence, who's just much better than Carson Wentz, even like a Carson Wentz's peak. I think that Trevor Lawrence could exceed that by a lot. Yeah, look, it might be a nightmare around him. You know, Shad Khan stood up there a year earlier and said, I got it right by hiring Urban Meyer. Uh, Trent Baalke seemingly was the reason why Byron Leftwich and a few others did not want this job. But what I have heard through the grapevine about Doug Peterson, at least early on when they had their most success in Philly, was he was very like, hey, just get me players and I'm going to coach. Like, I'm going to do the best we can do on the field. I'm going to trust you all to do this. They have pieces. Like, they also have the number one overall selection. Hopefully, they can improve the offensive line there. But you have a quarterback, at the very least, Hayden, that it's what every other team, almost every other new or second-year coach is, is still searching for. And I'm still so much in and have so much belief on Trevor Lawrence. And again, stability, it's there. A guy who has changed offenses, it's there. They have the second most, you know, free agent money to spend. That's there. This is something to at least feel better about and makes them watchable. And who knows how far it can go. It's a project. They they need like literally three new wide receivers. And I think the other thing for just for fantasy purposes is the Eagles have been using the two tight end sets. I don't think that like Doug Peterson's like necessarily attached to that. Like he had Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Of course, you're going to use right. two tight ends. And they were like paying Alshon Jeffrey and like JJ Arcega Whiteside. Uh, so they had no choice but to be tight end heavy. I don't necessarily think that that's what the Jaguars are going to do. I, in fact, I think they're probably going to be an 11 personnel offense just like the rest of the NFL. The comparison I want to make skill position-wise is, and it just dawned on me when I was doing my notes, Travis Etienne, Miles Sanders kind of have the same pros and cons to their game. Mm. Both speedy, athletic guys, but kind of have some flaws in both a little bit power and a little bit of how consistent of runners they are, and especially with Miles Sanders, he fumbles a lot. I can see that Travis Etienne kind of having that same season that Miles Sanders was having when Miles Sanders was... uh, at point, one point, he was like a second-round pick in fantasy. He caught like 50 passes, uh, ran the ball 200 times. I can see Travis Etienne and Miles Sanders having pretty uh, similar profiles in general. So um, I think stock up on Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence. I don't think that we can make any assessments on Mar- Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chanel. I don't think that they're good enough football players, period. They're going to be bringing in wide receivers, and those are the ones that we're going to be paying attention to for fantasy. It's another spot, though, where with the Eagles, sure, there are a couple of years where they had to replace a whole bunch of offensive linemen that they get hurt year after year, but they invest so much in that spot that I would expect that to, to maybe continue here, too, and they need a lot of work among their starting unit there, too. I haven't checked over the cap, but every single year you can bank on the Jaguars having the most cap space in the league. So I'm I'm blindly the second most. I'm blindly. Yeah, I was going to say I'm blindly assuming that they have the fifth most cap space in the league. So they'll, they'll get some guys. All right. So we go from one second time now head coach in Doug Peterson, who took obviously last year off now over to the Las Vegas Raiders and their new head coach in Josh McDaniels. 
Well, Coach, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about a couple quarterbacks. One, just admiration from Derek Carr from afar, and now that you're able to coach him, I mean, this guy has played a long time in the NFL. He's thrown for a ton of yards, and he's won a lot of games, but just the experience and the level of competitiveness of Derek Carr and what you've witnessed watching him over the years. Yeah, Derek's impressed me for a long, long time, and getting the opportunity to speak to him the other day, you could just sense how important you know his faith is, his family, is and the game of football and so he pours his heart and soul into those three things and it'll be a really fun experience for me to have the opportunity to continue to build this thing with him as our leader he's certainly capable of doing a lot of great things uh, he's done them before in his career and I'm just looking forward to getting to know him how he learns the best what he does uh, and how we put this thing around him the best way we can to help him be successful and help our team you know ultimately achieve our goals Weekend of the first playoff games, national reporters go out there and say that the new Raiders head coach, the decision on Derek Carr is tied with them. Well, we just heard from Josh McDaniels. Derek Carr is your quarterback for the Raiders in 2022. Yeah, my notes here was number one priority for this hire was to keep Derek Carr around. It's like I know he's not an elite level quarterback, but he's like to me in that second or third tier, however you want to group them. And it's hard to find one of those. And you need to put up points in this division. I mean, we're talking about the Chiefs, the Chargers, and maybe an Aaron Rodgers Broncos. This is an offensive team. You cannot try to build through the defense. Your defense is never going to be good enough to stop those offenses. So later in that interview, he flat out says, I know Carr is all in on being a radar or being a Raider. So we can pivot away from that storyline. To me, there's some similarities to what McDaniels has had. Obviously, we don't have to go through all the Hunter Renfro comparisons to the new england uh offense but also obviously with with darren waller you're probably gonna get a bounce back season from darren waller assuming health but you can see this this team just needs uh definitely a number one receiver like i mean please get this team a number one receiver and then back we got to get that offensive line cooking again i wouldn't care about the defense at all this division you would have to outshoot justin herbert and patrick mahomes maybe aaron Rodgers. you got to get a number one wide receiver here I couldn't find the tweet, but wasn't there something that he said about how he wants to bring a foundation of of two tight ends to to the Raiders and Twitter lost their shit because he didn't do that in New England after paying for it. Uh, I don't care if he didn't do that. I think part of that was maybe Johnu Smith didn't live up to what they expected out of him. To yeah. me, I I more care about the process of it. And his foundation has been this for years. He was certainly a reason why they paid two of the highest tight end contracts out there in the NFL in one offseason because he wants to do this. I can tell you from standing about 30 feet away from him in the St. Louis Rams draft room when he was OC there for one year That's a that flex. he wanted to want run two tight end sets there. This is why they drafted Lance Kendricks in round two and when they also had Michael Hoho Manawanui because he thought that Hoho could be Rob Gronkowski and Lance Kendricks could be Aaron Hernandez. Maybe that's a poor evaluation on his part, but he wants to run that. Then I just brought up the two names that I feel like he's kind of chasing the tail of for years and years and years. But if we get through, I don't know, free agency and the draft, and they haven't added another name other than Foster Moreau. Foster Moreau is good. He's a top 64 tight end. I'm telling you, I, I am going to be in a little bit more than everyone else on Foster Moreau as like the inline player here for the Raiders. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say is Darren Waller's strengths are not necessarily as the inline guy. He is more of that that uh, space uh, 
the tight end. And I think that he could definitely eat in this offense. They also mentioned Josh Jacobs and obviously like the, the Patriots, sometimes they like lead the league in neutral pass rate. Uh, sometimes like last year, they're closer to the bottom. I think they're going to commit to Josh Jacobs. And I think that Josh Jacobs is going to have uh, another one of these RB two seasons. It just comes down to, you got to protect uh, Derek Carr and this offense is not going to be good enough. The offensive line last year was a total disaster on top of the play calling. I think that Josh McDaniels, we've seen it uh, not even just um, like from season to season, but from week to week, the Patriots change their game plan like all the time. It's It was something I was fearful of in fantasy like five years ago. But like once you start like realizing the matchups and like where the strengths and weaknesses are, you can kind of see when, oh, this is for sure going to be a Damian week. Oh, this is going to be a little bit more of a week where they get Hunter Henry involved. I think that this team's going to play matchups well. And I think playing matchups well in general is a positive. I think that Josh McDaniel is probably going to be a great hire for the Raiders. Yeah, and Josh Jacobs has legit receiving chops when he's been given that opportunity as well. A couple of things in McDaniels. He talked a lot about in the last 10 to 12 years, there's been a lot of growth. Uh, that it, when he went to Denver, he knew a bit about football, but didn't know anything about people. Uh, that's, in his eyes, changed a lot over that span of time. I can also tell you, he was days, if not hours, from being the head coach of another team just a couple years ago. But that team, shockingly, took a bit of a 180 and went with someone else. So other teams have been interested. Uh, he said that he has been selective in finding his spot. And it makes sense that he's you know joining with Dave Ziegler, who is coming from the same exact team that he is. So once again, we're having another franchise out there trying their best to replicate a, a Patriots formula. Um, we're having a few teams doing that at the same exact time right now, but McDaniels has also been viewed at points of being like the coach in waiting, even though it was unofficial um, for the Patriots. And I really am. And maybe people are going to bring up like a huge list of guys that don't work low key in on second time head coaches, because you learn so much from anything that you do when you fail. And especially with someone who then went on to have success again with those teams in a big time role. I'm in on second year coach, second time coaches, Doug Peterson and Josh McDavis. I am too. My question is, is the, where is he becoming a better people person? Is he learning under a uh, famous uh, players coach, Bill Belichick, Joe judge, or Matt Patricia? Like who, where is he getting these people skills from who in new England was teaching him this stuff? I, I need the, to know. Steve, maybe Steve is just hilarious yeah, wow. in, in the background. <laughs> In the background, uh, I guess Josh McDaniel is going to grow a mullet if that's if he's a true people person. Um, and one final note: we bring this up all the time, but Derek Carr and Henry Ruggs really like transformed this offense. Derek Carr was leading the NFL in twenty-plus yard attempts and completions, and then when Henry Ruggs obviously was let go from the team, you just didn't have a player like that. It, it, I'm not saying you have to spend a first round selection on a burner like they did to get that because I, I think you can find speed, but man, that connection really evolved, really evolved. And to get the most out of Derek Carr, who changed his game to incorporate that more than he ever had before. I hope we get more of that, like first half of the season, Derek Carr and get that for an entire year next year. Yeah, they are on my short list when you're doing your famous mock drafts. I, I can see you sprinkling and maybe a little bit of a wide receiver in the first round. We'll see. Give me until about like two weeks before the draft and uh, and I'll get there. Okay, a couple more. Maybe we'll go through these quickly because these were both defensive coordinators that were promoted into head coaching roles. Let's start with the New Orleans Saints and Dennis Allen. 
Well, I think it's the most important decision that you make, you know, um, and so that's going to be one of the first things that, that we do is, is, is we get together as a, as a staff, as an organization, um, and, and evaluate that position. Um, and then we'll make the best decision for, for this organization that we think is, is the right thing for us moving forward. That was Dennis Allen on the quarterback position. Uh, there are some rumblings that maybe Jameis Winston returns. Obviously, Taysom Hill is under contract. Overall, I got the sense when watching Dennis Allen in his introductory press conference, his quote, this is not a broken job. This is a desirable job because the foundation for winning has already been built and they're just trying to continue that. They are not reinventing the wheel here, Hayden. Even with Sean Payton departing, they have kept his OC everybody now call plays and Pete Carmichael, and they're keeping the same defensive coordinator. So they're just basically trying to do the same exact thing. Yet roster change is inevitable because how far deep they are into the salary cap. Yeah. Whenever I get uh saints info, I'm going straight to Nick Underhill and he wrote in, in his column about the coaching staff. He said, this is a team that still intends to compete and be in the playoff mix as soon as next season. He later, uh, in that same column mentions Teddy Bridgewater and Jameis Winston as two of the quarterbacks that they're going to have mm. on the radar. So I think the big debate is, was this the right time for the Saints to press that reset button? They're kind of caught in between where there's an aging roster. and Everyone talks about like, oh, the salary cap's a myth. They can just restructure all these players. I posted on a Twitter. Yes, they will be uh, inside the salary cap because you have to. It's by rule. But in order to do that, they have to extend and restructure uh, and add void years and all these things that you can do for the salary cap on 30-year-olds, 31-year-olds, 32-year-olds, all the way up to 34-year-olds. So this is a team that, yes, can compete, especially if this division is bad. And this, like, low-key, you start looking at this division, like, man, who's supposed to win this thing? Uh, They can compete, but they are in a weird spot where they don't have a Super Bowl roster, even if you do hit on a a quarterback randomly. They, They are caught in between, and they opted for keep the offensive coordinator, keep the defensive coordinator, and we'll just kind of like power through this and pretend that Sean Payton's like still there. Positive. Dennis Allen basically transformed this defense and from a laughing stock into like a, the focus of the team, like the identity yep. of the team now. And it's, it's really good. They've had very few free agents on that side of the ball. Marcus Williams is the most notable and he's a rangy, you know, deep safety on that team. Offensively though, where, Pressing the reset button, if that was something they should have done, I think that's a really valid valid question. When you consider, you know, Drew Brees faced the franchise departing just a couple off seasons ago, and then Sean Payton doing the exact same thing in consecutive off seasons. Now you're also certainly going to lose probably Teron Armstead in free agency, who has missed a whole bunch of time, went healthy and went out there, Stunned. completes the Saints as one of the best offensive lines in the league. That's a huge drop off down to James Hurst, in my opinion. Had to throw Calvin Throckmorton out there at one of the guard spots with Andrews Pete, who's been up and down a lot. But you still have like three really solid pieces, if not good pieces, in Eric McCoy, Cesar Ruiz, and, and Ryan Ramchick. So, yeah, then throwing in the exact thing of Teddy and, and Jameis, maybe get a sprinkle of Michael Thomas in there at some point too. Um, and NFC South is wide open without Tom yep. Brady. And so maybe that was part of the thought process here of, hey, if we can get to 10 and 7, 9 and 8, that'll be good enough to win it. Yeah, it, it easily could be. And I, I don't want to be too harsh on this decision because Pete Carmichael, they're the offensive coordinator, 
he's been their offense coordinator for 14 years. So like he is clearly qualified, especially in the same exact offense. So it was just interesting. They could have gone in a complete different direction, but they're going to try to run it back. And I think that the strength of the, or the weakness, I should say of the NFC South is certainly playing into this. Uh, a couple notes, uh, Michael Thomas, uh, everybody wants him to get traded. Uh, first of all, it seems like they are on better terms between player and team overall. Second, look look at over the cap, guys. If if they trade him, they save like $2 million and they would have to eat $20 million. You're just not doing that. It's just not the year uh, to do it. So Michael Thomas will be back. They do not have enough uh, weapons uh, and they don't have enough money to address it. So I think that this could be a Michael Thomas bounce back year. And I, I just hope it's just James again. Hopefully he's healthy. Jameis, uh, get Taysom back at like tight end or whatever you want to call that position. And we'll see if they can kind of squeak in this is going to be a very 500 team for the next couple of years. I think Dennis Allen now 49. This is, he fits in the category of second time head coach here. And I believe he was like 30, 39 years old. The first time he was a head coach in league. And again, I'm sure there's a big gap in learning, especially successfully in, in the 10 years since then. And, you know, the personnel department is all intact with Jeff Ireland and company. As well, the Saints have done a really good job in finding like second, third, fourth round selections who who really helped them. Okay, one more. Who else would we end with other than the Houston Texans? No hesitation about. No hesitation at all. There, you know, there are thirty-two of these jobs. If we talk about the opportunity, every time I've gotten a job, it's been a situation. First off, you don't get jobs unless uh, maybe there's some things that need to be improved upon. And you're just looking for an opportunity. Once you get that opportunity is what you do with it. And I'm excited about this opportunity. I know we can do some great things. One, Texans, very lucky I did not select the clip of the fire alarm going off when Nick Casario was answering questions. Uh, to Hayden, and I don't want to like date this podcast too much, this episode. But it's pretty obvious that Lovey Smith was not the direction that they thought they were going to go in here. Obviously. This decision coincides with the Brian Flores um, accusations. Let's put them that way. It seemed pretty clear after interviewing him for the second year in a row that Josh McCown was destined to be the head coach here. And they just couldn't do it because it would be someone with no coaching experience. And they look inside their own building and say, well, Lovey has head coaching experience. We can just promote him in house. And there was an ominous tweet, even after this decision was made from rap sheet that said he is the coach for 2022. And we might be doing this all over again next year. This was just classic Texans. I mean, they have David Coley who could literally do this Lovey Smith job, what they're going to ask him to do. Uh, first of all, for cheaper, they're paying Coley a ton of money to go sit on a beach somewhere. They're going to do the same exact thing with Lovey Smith here. And David Coley, uh, I don't know, was one of the better coaches against like what the record. We thought the, the Texans could go winless. They were actually competitive. Yeah. Um, so I, they should not have fired David Coley if this was their plan. To me, it was very clear that they were going to hire Josh McCown or Brian Flores or some somebody like that. And they learned, hey, we cannot do that. Um, so then they pivoted to Lovey Smith. So... Um, the only thing I do like about this is Pep Hamilton getting an offensive yep. coordinator job. Uh, he was Herbert's offensive or quarterbacks coach in particular when he won offensive rookie of the year last year. He was with the Texans. Davis Mills played better than we thought. There was a stretch before Tyrod got hurt where he was playing well. Um, so he's uh, somebody that is very well liked. So I, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Pep Hamilton. If this is a signal that hey, let's give him another year with Davis Mills, or if they have 
um, make a big move and get like a uh, a Willis or one of these a, a picket. Who knows what they're gonna do out there? But I just don't understand the, the overall thought process of like how we ended up like David Colby. Like he's just sit. He is Lovey Smith. It's like perfect yeah. uh, sitting right there. We and I have a lot of work to do on Davis Mills this off season. We'll find out, and maybe I should do it before even get to the point that they make the decision because some of those games, some of those stats were uh, pretty shocking what Davis Mills put out there. But there's also a chance that the Texans just get worse this offseason too by you know really leaning into all of this and dealing whatever assets they have. We know Deshaun Watson is done playing with the Texans, and he's almost certainly going to get traded this offseason, so that'll bring picks. Larry Matunzel, his name is being thrown out there a lot in trade conversations. Brandon Cooks, yep. under contract. So, like, Brandon Cooks is arguably, if objectively, the best player on the team that played, you know, most of the games last year. And so you're just going to get worse here. And David Cole is perfect for this. Get worse. <laughs> trade everybody. Literally trade all of your best players. Be the worst team in the league this year. And David Coley says, thank you very much. You fire him next year when you can hire up an, another head coach. Like, Lovey Smith's not the long-term answer here. Like, I just, this do, makes no sense to me. Do you remember when Casario took over, they, like, put out that free agent graphic where they had, like, 35, like, yeah, it was like a Coachella lineup. Talent. It was a <laughs> yeah. Coachella lineup. Yeah. We're going to see that again. I'm just looking on our lads right now on their depth chart because all the free agents are in red. Jacob Martin, Malik Collins, Grugier Hill, Neville Hewitt, Christian Kirksey, Justin Reed, Desmond King, Terrence Brooks, uh, David Johnson, Tyrod, obviously, Justin Britt, Jerron Christian, Chris Conley, Chris, like we're going to get another everybody festival yeah. lineup all over again. And it's smart by them to probably just have them on basically one year deals. And then you just reset all over again next year. Uh, is Josh McCown even coaching on a roster or on a staff right now this is why i don't this is how you they should have done this they should have hired josh mccown last year as like the quarterbacks coach right promoted him to offensive coordinator and then you promote him to head coach the year after like they're gonna run in the same they, they want josh mccown i like i don't know if he's doing bible studies with with this uh, ownership group in the front office or whatever but they want to hire josh mccown and it will be bad pr until josh mccown is out there being a quarterback's coach and offense coordinator somewhere. They, we just want like one year of it. That's like yeah. the bare minimum. And Cleve TA has, has been all over this or was during the cycle. Cause Jonathan Gannon was uh, among the coaches, the finalists, I think the final three as well. And it just turned out to be like a cluster, like just a real cluster. And I don't know in their eyes, because of like where they were in the weird, hirings on the staff you bring in Casario to hopefully stabilize everything nothing feels stabilized with Nick Casario at this moment and it's it's they're going to take steps back to to take steps forward which I feel bad for Lovey even though again he's going to get head coaching money and says like there's just 32 it's also quietly hilarious that he went to Illinois and just bombed there for four years before he shows up here too. that so. record at Illinois is, and is it's also good. like the most basic defense of all time. Like it's yeah. cover too. And we're just going to run it over and over and over again. I don't know. It, it, it's going to be, if you had to pick one name, one name on the Texans that you could have a little excitement for, I'll throw out Nico Collins. Who would I, you throw I, out? I, I tried with Nico Collins. His yards per out run versus man coverage was like 
super bad. So I, I haven't rewatched him. He he made some flashy plays. I don't know. Brandon Cooks, like, could they trade Brandon Cooks? Would he? What's the record for most trades in a career? Like, he might uh, accumulate the most like first round picks in total in of any player ever. Kofi has a, a really good tweet. It's an NBA trade because these guys, you know, fill out every do. single team who's in there. It's finishing all the infinity stones and like Shaq did it with all the, the lineup colors. Maybe Brandon cooks is, is close there to, to doing that on his end. Um, I feel bad. Sorry, rivers rivers does a great job. Some nihilism, uh, covering the, uh, Houston Texans miserable beat. I'm sure. Okay. That's going to do it for us. Appreciate you all tuning in. If you want to get down in the comments below, leave maybe either your favorite coaching hire, your least favorite, whatever you want to do. Um, hey, now you're headed to Indianapolis, the combine next week. We'll figure out some content to do along the way. We'll be listening to a whole bunch more GM and head coach press conferences, interviews during that time. I know Hayden has all of his rankings already up there for 2022 best ball, some columns that he is churning out over on Underdog Network. We've got great games, little games over on Underdog Fantasy right now, still. Deposit anything for the first time, and we match it. Use promo code the show. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, comment below what time you want us to live stream every week. We are trying to figure out what type of shows we want to do this entire offseason. So if there's a particular time that, you, that you're out there and you're still watching a minute or an hour and 16 minutes into the show, I want to hear from you, not the other average shows. The loyal ones. Us. Yeah, the people out here, like I don't want their opinion. They sit through eight minutes of the show. If you've been, uh, been here for 75 minutes, let me know your opinion. What time do you want us to stream that? Yeah, tell a friend. Tell one friend about the show, about the channel. Force them to subscribe. Do you like my tan, by the way, after I went to Mexico for a month? A week? I, I was expecting a, more of a tan, but this is probably 99th no. percentile for you. Oh, it, it is. And really, the number one goal when I'm in the sun is to just not get sunburned. It's not too tan. It's just to not get burned. And I yeah. accomplished that. I did, except... Last day, I did have some like random splotches that I missed. Bad luck. But we'll keep the shirt on. We'll keep the shirt on. Well, if, if you want Josh to go shirtless next episode, let us know in the comments too. Let us know about anything in the comments. Whatever, whatever. I mean, like, I don't know. Your favorite salad dressing. Leave that in the comments too. Okay. We'll get out of here. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the Vela. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. See ya.